Hi everybody, this is Ben and this is Ben's Week in Medical School, sharing knowledge about the human body and glimpses into life in medical school. This podcast is for your entertainment and education. I do my best to present accurate information, but this podcast is not professional medical advice. The podcast is a personal project and does not represent the views of my medical school. Welcome back to episode 38. This is the end of week 43 of medical school. And all of a sudden, it feels like spring and summer are here in Michigan. I say both because last week we had a day in the 90s and a day that didn't barely get past the 50s, so um, it's all over the place. My birthday was last week, and I took a week off to celebrate with friends and family. Um, Really just a couple days, but I didn't have time at the end of the weekend to record the podcast like normal. So this week, we're 10 days into our cardiovascular block, and I wanted to talk about a few interesting topics we've learned there, and then just some general updates about what's happening in school as I near the end of my first year. Let's get started. Starting this Monday, our school is opening up many in-person activities to all of our vaccinated students, which thankfully is most, almost all of us. Um, we have in, we have school-sponsored extracurriculars like some community health fairs with screening people in the community for diabetes and blood pressure, and we have interest group meetings at faculty members' houses. Um, the surgical interest group, I think, has a meeting at the, their faculty sponsor's house next week. I'm probably going to go to that. So this may mean that it's easier to set up opportunities to shadow physicians, which is something I'm really interested in doing. I've had a lot of introductory experiences to emergency medicine and internal medicine and hospice already from my volunteering, but I haven't observed any surgeons, cardiologists, radiologists, anesthesia, Um, pathology. So there's a lot to experience. So, so far my clinical experiences have been pretty diverse, especially given that it's only been a few months since I've been vaccinated for COVID and since those started to increase. So I wanted to give a little recap. Um, The first one that I got up to was vaccination clinics and I have been able to vaccinate people in the community, actually giving the shots with the Pfizer uh, vaccine and also just a medical person observing people after they've received their shots. I have been doing some pediatric asthma education for one of our pulmonologists at, um, at school, and I'm teaching the young patients and their parents about asthma and how to avoid asthma triggers and how to use their inhalers effectively. Uh, and sometimes I get to participate a little bit in the physical exam, especially if the doctor sees Um, an interesting finding, um, maybe looking in somebody's ears or throat or listening to their lungs. Street medicine is a big new one. Um, This has been an incredible chance to assist our doctors who are going out into the field and doing street runs, providing care to unhoused people around the city. So it just started and I've only been on one street run so far, but it was really interesting and Um, just eye-opening, seeing how our doctors actually provide real medical care to very vulnerable people out in in the city. And the last one is the Emergency Department Research Project. 
I'm enrolling patients who come to the emergency department into a trial to see which nausea medication gives us the best results with controlling their nausea and stomach pain. And recently, our principal investigator asked us to be more proactive in finding patients, which means if we see people on the medical record system that have nausea going into the waiting room, bringing them into a a private um, triage room and asking them some questions to see if they're good candidates. Previously, we would wait until they were called back to see the doctor to have our first chat with the patients and talk about the study. But by going out earlier, I think we're going to be able to get more people enrolled in the study. And something I've noticed just in the last few weeks of my first year of medical school is that I've just had more and more opportunities to have independent interactions with real patients. Uh, We've been having simulated uh, simulated activities with like actor patients, actually being able to use um, some of my knowledge to guide and improve uh, treatments for, for patients in the clinics uh, is, has been really cool. And that's probably the most exciting thing that's happening um, at the end of my first year. Over the past two weeks of lectures about cardiology and the cardiovascular system, including the heart and all of the blood vessels, we've been learning so much. We've been touching on um, high blood pressure, um, coronary artery disease, which causes chest pain and heart attacks. The heart itself is basically uh, two pumps connected to each other. One pump, the right side of the heart, pumps blood to your lungs. And then the left side of your heart is pretty much a separate pump that pumps blood from the lungs to the rest of your body. And one of the really cool things about the heart is that the timing of all of this pumping is actually controlled inside of the heart itself. There's not a part of your brain that orders the the heart to contract, to pump. This is different than the lungs. In the lungs, all of the, um, the respiratory drive comes from the brain. But the heart actually has its own timing mechanism that causes its own muscle to contract in a precise sequence to generate this pumping flow of blood through the chambers. Theoretically, you could not have any brain function and still have a beating heart. And this is sort of something that you see in uh, maybe in a coma patient or somebody who's on mechanical ventilation. They could have brain death and still be having their heart pump a regular beat within the muscles of the heart. There's these special sort of timer cells called the uh, sinoatrial node and the AV node. Those are little parts of the heart which act as a timer and about once every second they go off and send a signal that spreads through the entire heart quite rapidly to tell it all to contract. And I think that's really cool. The heart is kind of working on its own. Now there are aspects of the heart which are controlled by the brain, by um, even other organs can send signals to the heart by different mechanisms to make it slow down, speed up, or um, pump sort of harder 
but the intrinsic beat that's happening for all of us is really just a little timer that goes off about every half second or second to tell the heart to contract from within the heart itself. So that's the first little nugget about cardiology, which I think is interesting. One of the most interesting things that we learned early on is about the fetal circulation of the heart. Before a baby is born, the way that blood moves in a fetus, it's quite different than how it moves in in a newborn. There's actually big differences and some really cool engineering behind the scenes that goes into allowing this to happen, that the, the flow of blood in a fetus is like different directions and different portions of the body than immediately after the baby is born. A normal heart works like this. Blood comes back to the heart after traveling through the body, and it arrives to the right side of the heart to get pumped to the lungs. And then blood returns to the heart, freshly oxygenated, and enters the left side of the heart and gets pumped out to all the arteries in the body. Oxygenated blood travels all over, maybe 5 to 10 liters of flow per minute while you're at rest. But this works very differently in fetuses. Fetuses share a blood supply with the mother through the placenta. So the fetus receives oxygenated blood through the umbilical cord. The blood then heads toward the fetal heart to pump it around the body. So this oxygenated blood fills up the right side of the heart, and this is where the changes start. Since fetuses don't breathe, it doesn't make sense for the right heart to pump all of the blood to the lungs because the lungs aren't doing anything in the fetus. So instead, there's actually a hole in between the right and the left heart heading directly from right to left. It sounds crazy, but it, this hole bypasses the lungs. And it's, this hole is called the foramen ovale. It's a connection that allows the oxygenated blood from the mother to skip the lungs and just go directly to the rest of the fetal body. There's also a connection between two of the big arteries, the one that goes to the lungs and the one that goes to the rest of the body called the ductus arteriosus, which also helps in case any of the blood is going toward the lungs, this connection between those two main main blood channels will send more blood away from the lungs to the rest of the body. This is a huge difference and these are two big structural differences in the fetus versus in a newborn after the fetus becomes a newborn baby the whole circulation has to change dramatically and decisively instead of getting oxygen oxygenated blood through the placenta once the baby is born the umbilical cord is clamped and so the baby needs to start oxygenating its own blood through its lungs. And the circulatory changes that have to happen are really profound. Blood has to start traveling full-time to the lungs, and to make this happen, the hole in the heart, the foramen ovale, and the tunnel connecting the pulmonary artery to the aorta, those both have to close. And this is happening at birth. When the umbilical cord was clamped, This cuts off flow to these big blood vessels that were going to and from the fetus and the placenta. And this ends up raising the blood pressure inside of this newborn baby. 
So the left side of the heart, which is the main pump directly to the whole body, it starts experiencing a lot more pressure, which seals a flap over the hole in the heart. So this flap had been growing and it's sort of a one-way valve and in the fetus it's completely open because there's no pressure to hold it closed. But once the baby is born and the umbilical cord is clamped, this rise in pressure causes this one-way flap over the foramen ovale to close and now we don't have a hole in the heart anymore. Once this flap is closed it starts to heal shut new cells start to grow and make fibrous connections around it to seal it shut permanently. Additionally, some hormones are released which cause that tunnel to start to close between the two arteries, and that happens over a few days. There's no nifty flap that seals the tunnel off immediately. For the first few days of a newborn's life, there will be some flow in between those two big arteries, the ones going to the lungs and the ones going to the rest of the body, that's okay because it's going to slowly close off and instead of being a blood vessel connecting those two, it just becomes a, a ligament that actually connects those two arteries with no blood flow allowed between. And the ligament persists throughout your life. The foramen ovale, the hole in the heart, it'll seal completely in 75% of people. But in 25% of the people, it may be a little bit leaky and it's not something that necessarily will ever cause any symptoms or ever be you know discovered it's just most of the time that just doesn't matter the pressure in the heart is mostly keeping that flap shut anyway so a very slight leak without a total seal in your foramen ovale is called a patent foramen ovale the word patent by the way just means unobstructed so in a family of four people, there's a good chance that at least one has a slightly patent form in ovale and, and also will never learn about it or care about it because it's not a problem. We've also been able to observe these structures in, in the anatomy lab. So looking at people who have died in their old age, looking at the inside of their hearts, there's a little, it's a little indentation on the inside wall of the right side of the heart. And that indentation is the hole that was closed over at birth. And we also have seen a ligament that connects the pulmonary artery with the aorta. And that's the ligament that remained after that tunnel between the two was closed. It's really powerful and incredible to see the structures that we learned about in class, see them in real life on people's bodies uh, and see how this really magical engineering played out. Okay, that's it for this week. There are a few questions that have been coming in about the heart and I'll probably answer those over the next few episodes. So thank you so much for sharing those questions. Today we talked about some updates from school and then I talked about a few of the first items of interest from the cardiovascular unit. If you have any questions, please email me at ben at bensweek.com. Thank you to David Funkhauser for our intro and outro music. And thanks for listening. Have a great week.